Luke 15, 1 through 10. These might be familiar to you. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Him is Jesus. Uh, so at this point in the story, there's all sorts of people um, surrounding Jesus. And we've kind of uh, run into a, a, a number of different stories uh, over the last few months from this part of Luke's gospel. So Jesus is, is traveling from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. And uh, they're going through a place called Samaria, which is sort of a hostile territory. There, there are lots of people who would be considered tax collectors and sinners and people who, who don't belong. And uh, so those are the kinds of, all kinds of people, farmers and prostitutes and y- you name it. It's a mixed bag of people. Uh, also in that mixed bag of people are the religious people, the religious, uh, the religious elite, maybe we might call them, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there. Uh, and because of the other people who were there, um, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's kind of a refrain that happens throughout Jesus's uh, life, especially in the gospel of Luke. Uh, And so Jesus then tells them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or or, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We will go that far. So, have you ever had a, like a private conversation with someone, like an intimate conversation, but there are other people around and you're speaking and then you decide that you're going to speak loudly enough to that person so that another person uh, can hear them? It's, it's sort of a way to speak to somebody indirectly or speak to somebody through somebody else. Have you ever done this? Yeah, I've done that. I've, I've had it done to me. We've all sort of had this experience. In fact, uh, if you're a parent... Um, and you've had little children, you know what this is like. All, all, like Renee and I used to do this all the time. For instance, if, like, I'm remembering times when Samuel was really little, a baby, and couldn't understand a word that we were saying at all. And, and, uh, and there were times where I would be playing with him on the floor in the living room or family room, and I would feel like I'm getting thirsty. And, and I would say to him, Samuel, do you think mommy could give me a glass of water, <laughs> right? So, you're, you know, parents do this all the time. We're not talking, you know, to, I'm not, I'm talking to Renee through another person. Now that seems silly, right? But we, we do things like this. And I think that's kind of the thing that was happening here with Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You've got these tax collectors and sinners all gathering around Jesus, the wrong kind of people. And this happens. This is like a theme in the life of Jesus. And we've talked about it before, but he's sort of collecting around him the wrong kind of people. 
and the tax collectors and sinners, or the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of law are there, and they start muttering to themselves, but they're muttering loudly enough so that everyone can hear, this man welcomes sinners. And he eats with them. They're just astonished. They're, they can't believe that Jesus would associate with those people. Like, whatever it is that they have is going to rub off on you. You got to be careful. This man welcomes sinners. And he eats with them. So here are religious people. Here are people who are faithful people, good people. And here we have them injecting uh, hatred and hopelessness in the lives of people. They're injecting hatred and hopelessness within, in the lives of people who already feel lost and who already feel hated and who already have no hope in this world, right? That's the context. So we've got this tension that's now built. And how does Jesus respond to this? Well, if we pay attention to how Jesus responds to things like this in, in the stories about him in the Bible, then it doesn't surprise us. It's story time with Jesus. Uh, he tells a story. He tells a couple of stories. Three, really. These are the first two in the three. But he begins by telling these stories, and the first two are traditionally called the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I really like the titles that we've given to these stories. Because you know, in the original language, there are no titles, there are no, there are no chapters and verses. We've sort of added those so that we could find things nicely. And then we name the parables, we give them titles, uh, but that's not really there uh, in the original language. So I don't really like the, I don't like those names that we've given those stories because the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, when I read these stories, I think, I think these stories are a lot less about the lostness of the coin and the sheep. And they're more about the hope that the shepherd brings, more about the hope that the woman brings. That's sort of the point of these stories, right? Hope. Let's talk about hope. Hope. We could define it as waiting expectantly for the future. Like there's something out there and we're headed towards it or it's coming towards us and we know it's good. Hope. Waiting expectantly for the future. I'm sure that when the sheep figured out that it was lost and it had wandered away, it wanted to be found. If the coin could think, no, let's not go there. That's silly. <laughs> but he's surrounded by tax collectors. He's surrounded by sinners, all kinds of people who don't quite belong. And you can bet that there's something inside of them that felt like, ah, I need to be found. Or there's something more that is out there for me. Maybe not even knowing what it is, but this urge, this wanting to be found, it's, it's kind of like hope, right? St. Augustine believed that hope, I find this interesting, that hope was the best of the, the big three virtues. You know what the big three virtues are? Faith, love, and hope. Faith, hope, and love. He said something like this. He said, Faith only tells us that God is, he says. That's a good thing. Love only tells us that God is good. But hope, hope tells us that God will actually work out God's will. Like, this world is headed somewhere good, 
and God is going to make it happen. It's going to be okay. God's in charge. Oh, I love that. Henry Nouwen once wrote this. Hope means to keep living amid desperation and to keep humming in the dark. Hope is knowing that there is love. It is trust in tomorrow. It's falling asleep and waking again when the sun rises. In the midst of a gale at sea, it's to discover land. In the eyes of another, it is to see that he cares and understands you. As long as there's hope, God will be holding you in his hands. So that's what hope is, knowing that the, the future belongs to the divine. It's going to be okay. God is in charge. And because of that, we can live in the present. We actually have nothing to fear. We can live in the present with confidence and with courage. That's how Jesus responded to the hatred and hopelessness of the Pharisees, them injecting that into the lives of these people who don't fit, who don't belong, who aren't supposed to be there. He responded not by dwelling on the fact that they were lost, right? He responded not even directly to the Pharisees themselves. He didn't even talk to them. He responded by speaking some hope into the lives of the hopeless. He told stories not of being lost. He told stories of being found. And that's something we all hope for once in a while, isn't it? You ever feel that way? Like there's more. There's something missing. I need to be found. So why do we hope? Why can we claim this hope for ourselves? Well, let's look at the stories. Look at the stories that you told. Let's first look at the story of the sheep that was lost and the shepherd who found it. He says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. Then goes beyond that. He calls his friends and neighbors and he says, rejoice with me. I lost, found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I do have a question for Jesus here. Are there 99 people who don't need to repent? That's interesting. Anyway, think about that later. Why do we hope? We hope because the creator of the universe never gets tired. We hope because we have a God who never stops looking. We hope because we have a God who never stops searching. We have a, we have a God who never gives up ever, ever. No matter how far we stray, no matter what it is we've done, no matter the reasons we've done what we've done, we can be confident that God is on the hunt, that God is searching. And sooner or later, we will be found and heaven will sing. That's true though, isn't it? We all need to be found in some sense, in some way or another. We all need to be found. I mean, normally we count ourselves among the found. I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> We're in the place where you show the world we've been found. We're followers of God. But, but we all have things inside of us that don't belong there. We all have, well, things inside of us that cause us to wander, that causes us to stray from the path, that causes us to get a little lost, right? And it's good for us to acknowledge that reality. It's good for us to be honest about that. And normally, 
in worship, we sort of create a space during the long prayer. You know which one I'm talking about? During the long prayer. Believe me, when I was a kid, it was way longer than what we do here. So you're welcome. Um, where's that going with it? Oh, yeah, we create space. It's sort of riffing there. I don't do that often. Anyway, we create space within the long prayer where we do this, where we sort of acknowledge the things inside of us that don't belong there, the things that, that cause us to get a little lost, right, to stray off the path. And we ask God in those times, not necessarily using those, this language, but we ask God to come find us and to come heal us, and to come forgive us, and to come put us back together again. Traditionally, it's called the confession of sin. So here's what we're going to do. You'll notice, maybe you did, that I didn't give that space to you earlier. Uh, So we're going to do that space now. We're going to do it old school. Uh, So I've got a prayer that we're going to put up on the screen together, and we're going to pray a prayer of confession together right now. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Loving God, you know us better than we know ourselves. We have been wandering, lost on the journey to find both you and our true selves. We have tried that which does not last, followed that which leads to nowhere, bought things that finally do not satisfy. But you are a patient and persistent God. You love us beyond what is reasonable and pursue us even to those dark and lonely places where we seek to hide from your presence. You call us by name. You search for us is unending. You hold out a hand and say, come, come to me. Forgiving God, open our eyes and let us see the way back to you. Open our eyes and let us see you running down life's road to welcome us home. Amen. There's something about praying those words together or words like them that just sort of open you up, don't they? They sort of humble you and put you in a place that might not have exactly wanted to go, and yet it's good for us to go there. And We have permission to pray prayers like that. In fact, we're invited to pray prayers like that, to to acknowledge the things inside of us that don't belong there. We can be honest about the ways in which we're lost. We can approach the throne of God with that stuff, that junk, because of what Jesus did. I mean, think about what Jesus did. He left heaven and became one of us kind of like a shepherd, a lot more than one lost sheep, but he came out of heaven and became one of us. We can pray prayers like that because of the things that Jesus did. We see him all over the place, collecting to himself all the wrong people. It was like all the wrong people were attracted to him, had to be near him, had to go to him, had to hear more from him, be touched by him. They just had to. We can pray prayers like that, and we can do it with confidence because of the things that Jesus said and the stories that he told. We know that the throne of God is not a, 
is not a throne of condemnation. It's not a throne of anger. It's not a throne of, I'm going to get you with this lightning if you make a mess of things. It's a throne of grace. And my question always is, when we talk about the throne of God, is God really on a throne somewhere? Because that doesn't sound like the God I know or the God that Jesus revealed. God is active and always searching us out, not stuck on some throne in the universe somewhere, but God is present, looking for us, because his throne is a throne of grace that says, go get them, God. It's the kind of grace that takes us back no matter what, no matter how far we've run. It's the kind of grace that allows us to hope and be confident that we can live in the present knowing that the future belongs to God. We hope because God never stops looking. God never stops looking. And when he finds us, heaven sings. How are you lost? What are the things inside of you? Have you talked to God about it recently? That's the thing about these stories. They're not stories about being lost. They're stories about being found. There's stories about hope. We hope because God never stops looking. We also hope because if you look around you, we're surrounded by a whole community full of people, a family really, that never stops looking either, that never stops searching. Can we look at the woman and the lost coin? Because I learned something this week that I feel like I should have known before, but I didn't. And now all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Let's look at this story. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the whole house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, and she's like, look, I found my lost coin. Now, the woman in the story is probably a fairly ordinary woman. If she's got a necklace with 10 coins, it probably means that she's a wife and she's a a mother. So listen to this. This is something new I learned. And again, I feel like I should have heard this before, but it was new to me and I think it's cool. So apparently there is a Middle Eastern tradition that probably informs what's behind this story. And this Middle Eastern tradition was this. Women, when when they got married, would string together 10 silver coins and wear them around her neck. And she would wear this necklace of coins around her neck until the day that she died. And there's great symbolism here. First, the 10 coins were, they were valuable, right? They were worth something. But even greater than that, this symbol, this necklace was a symbol of her completed family. They were also a source of security for her children's future in case something bad happened to mom and dad. Are you with me? Right? She literally wore her children's future security around her neck. So when she dropped one, lost one, and then dropped everything else that she was doing and swept the house, lit a lamp, and looked all over the place for her lost coin, she did so not just because she lost a quarter. She did so because... She was fighting for the safety and security for the future of her children. 
She was fighting. She was doing what any good mother would do. She was fighting for the future of her children. Oh, I love that. This is a picture of a family. This is a picture of a mother fighting for the future and the safety and security and the health and the wholeness of her babies. Oh, that's so good. Look, we're surrounded by a whole community full of people who bear the image of God. That means we're surrounded by a whole community full of people who will drop everything to fight for your safety, your security, to fight for your future, to fight for to fight for your wholeness, to, to make sure that you have a life and everything you have, everything you need in order, to, in order to flourish, no matter how far any of us stray, no matter how far any of us go, no matter how badly life wears us down, we're here to speak some hope into each other's lives. We're here to, we're here to search each other out, right? And I... Gosh, as I was thinking this week about all of the different ways, I, I could have told you a million stories about all the ways in which, uh, which this family and family before, before this one spoke some hope into my life and really changed my life. In fact, it happened just about two or three weeks ago. I was having a, just a bad week, some things that were happening, and uh, I had some conversations that were really difficult and hard, and uh, it made me, want to, made me wonder, why do I do this again? I don't know why I do this uh, again. And I, I got some text messages, like right at the right time. I got a couple of emails at the perfect time, unsolicited, just out of nowhere. And it was like, oh yeah, that's why I do this. Oh yeah, just little, tiny little thing. I go from wanting to be like, I'm done, to let's go. Right? Because somebody spoke some hope into my life through a text message of all things. Friends, maybe you know somebody who's feeling hopeless. Do you know somebody? Go speak some hope into their life. Right? Or better yet, show them. Show up for them. Let them know that you are there for them. Let them know that through you, God is there for them. Right? Do you need hope spoken into your life? Be honest about where you, where you are. That's why we have things like pods. That's why we have things like small groups. It's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to, to gather here week after week after week after week, because I'm convinced that we're always in need of some hope spoken into our lives. So Jesus told these stories to just speak some hope into the lives of the hopeless. And by eating with tax collectors and sinners and allowing, allowing all the wrong people to sort of collect around himself, he showed the world hope. He showed us exactly who God is. And maybe in doing so with those people, all the wrong people, maybe in showing them some hope, maybe a little seed of faith was planted in them. I'd like to think so. So go. Speak some hope into somebody's life or ask somebody else to do the same for you. It's worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for, thank you for who Jesus revealed you to be. Thank you for the way he lived his life. 
Thank you for the people with whom he interacted. Thank you for the stories that he told and the words that he spoke. Thank you for reminding us that that even if we're lost, we're just in a place waiting to be found and you're not distant off sitting on some throne somewhere, but you're actually searching. And so God, find us in all of the ways that we need it. Find us in our brokenness. Find us in our weakness. Find us in our sickness. And put us back together again, oh God. And make us people of hope who are willing and able and who have the strength and courage to speak hope in the lives of others. We want you to know that we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.